So as we've said, this is the first Sunday of Epiphany. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I didn't grow up in a tradition uh, that celebrated Epiphany. I had no idea what it was until I had attended an Anglican church for a couple of years, until I, and then I eventually had the courage to even ask, what does Epiphany mean? Um, and turns out, it's actually a really big deal in the, the church calendar. Uh, it's one of the major feasts that we celebrate. Technically, it's on the 6th, on Wednesday. Uh, you may have missed that in the news, but it was also Epiphany Sunday or Epiphany Wednesday, uh, then, that's when it begins. But Epiphany means illumination. It's a breaking forth of the light of Christ. It's a season in which we contemplate the inbreaking of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in his prologue, the light shines in the darkness. And do you know what it says? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Praise be to God. I was having a conversation with someone on our parish council earlier this week who says the, the message of epiphany is that Christ enters the here and now. And I love that. That's a beautiful way of saying it. So we're going to be looking at this theme specifically in Isaiah 60 this morning, which Larry nailed the reading of that. Thank you. And here we see the prophet Isaiah prophesying about that great end day, the close of humanity in which the heavenly city, Jerusalem, will descend on Zion, completely remade, shining, radiating with God's glory. And all nations will experience the light of that glory. So when we talk about Jesus being the light of the world, I I do want to clarify a little bit about what I mean by light. I don't just mean mental um, enlightenment or mental awareness, although, yes, Christ is the embodiment of wisdom. But I also mean security. Light brings security. It brings security from the dangers of night. That is the dangers of sin and Satan himself. But also we experience the warmth of fellowship with God through that light. The light of Christ has come into the world, and the darkness has not overcome it. So as we look in Isaiah, I want to I put out three gospel truths that I see here in this passage. And I'm sure that uh, if, if you continue to meditate on this passage throughout the week, you'll find more things um, more truths that are exciting and um, invigorating as well. So right off the bat, we hear the messages of Advent and Christmas all over again, just really quickly here in Isaiah. We see the realities of darkness. Isaiah says in verse 2, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness all the peoples. Isn't that what we were talking about all Advent long, and as we've been experiencing even here in the Twin Cities? But also is the Christmas message that the light of God has broken into the world. So the first truth of this passage that I want to emphasize isn't either of those. It actually is a, is a little bit more personal. The first truth that I want to emphasize here has more to do with you, and I think it's actually remarkably unbelievable. Do you see how often, especially in this first stanza, the word you is used? The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The Lord will arise upon you. His glory will be seen on you. And then this is the crazy part. This is what I just have a hard time wrapping my imagination around. The nations shall come to see your light. We see this this transformation that's happening, this impartation of God's light to his people. He says the nations will come to see your light, the kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, Isaiah's writing to God's people here. Specifically, he's, he's, he's describing the realities of a future day in which we all are all fully redeemed, And he says, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So what is it that's going on here? 
Now, I'm fine discussing God's glory, and I love that. And that's, you know, some of my favorite sermons are sermons that discuss the radiance of God's glory. Uh, and the, and, but what's crazy to me here is that his glorious light, he actually shares with his people. And that, to me, is overwhelming. It's, it's borderline blasphemous to even think about that. I can hardly take it in, right? But he shares his glorious light with us. And that is precisely the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the first truth is this, that we participate in God's light. When God claims you as his in the waters of baptism, you are anointed by him. You get to partake in his beauty. You get to, get to partake in his magnetic attraction that he himself has. And nations and kings shall come to you. That's a way of saying even from the, the commoners all the way to the elitist and, and the, the rule makers, those in powers, they will come to behold the glory of the Lord through you. God blesses you, to put this in, in, uh, Abraham, uh, in, in the language of the Abrahamic uh, covenant, God blesses you so that you may be a blessing to others. God's people participate in his light. So let's move on to the second thing. So also, look, as you move your eyes through this passage at all the different nations that are named here. Midian, Ephah, Sheba, gifts are brought all the way from Kedar and Nebaioth. And then if you skip over to verse 9, you see that even the ships all the way as far as Tarshish are coming to bring their gifts to God's holy city. Now there's a debate about this, but some scholars believe that Tarshish is actually out in Spain which would have been the edges of the known world of, those day, of that day. So if you were to actually map out all of these places, this is kind of cool, you'll see that these places were intentionally chosen by Isaiah. Uh, to, some of them are to the north, the south, the east, and the west, all over surrounding Israel. And, so what we, and, and even the chaos of the sea will not impede God's people from coming to the Lord's city. So also the other remarkable thing that I see in this list of nations is that some of these are peoples who have raided against the Israelites. They've pillaged them. But now they're actually being accepted in God's holy city. They will come, in verse 7 it says, they will come with acceptance at my altar. Now I wonder what would have been like for the Jews first hearing Isaiah's prophecies here and hearing those nations' names is actually being accepted, not just within the city, not just within the, ta- the, the temple, not just within the Holy of Holies, but they're at the altar. They're being accepted. What does that mean? I bet uh, uh, a Jew hearing this for the first time may have been like, Midian, you know, are you kidding me? Those dogs from the south, they have killed our people. They have stolen our harvest. It's blasphemy to say that, that they are allowed to come into these kinds of places. But the second truth is this. God's light has the power to claim all people. God's light has power to claim all people. Me and you included in that. I wouldn't be here if that truth didn't, it wasn't real. Last week, we heard Father Pete from Church of the Cross describing this really well when he was describing uh, uh, about the Magi of the East coming to worship the Christ child. You know, those events were prophesied here in Isaiah, you know, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. They're also foreshadowing the realities that we'll see in the new heavens and the new earth. The great, one of the great offensive Christian truths is that we are all infected by sin. Every single one of us. No one is, uh, is excused from it. But also, one of the things that is so 
impossible sometimes for us to fathom is that at the same time, no one is irredeemable in the Lord's eyes. The power of the Lord is that the warrior becomes the worshiper. That is what we see through God's grace. So my question to you this morning, especially in in light of events that we've just seen, what warriors do you see? Who are the enemies that you see as you turn on the news and, and, you know, scroll through your news feed and whatever? When you see the rioters or you see um, news pundits who are pushing their own agendas and and spinning things and whatever, or you see self-aggrandizing politicians, who are your enemies? Who are those people who you think are just despised, who are the dogs of the earth? How do you describe them? Do you call them vermin? Do you call them despicables, deplorables, elitists? What do you call them? Do you think that they're unreachable? Do you think that God's grace can't somehow penetrate their heart in the same way in which it has our own? My prayer for us is that God can give us imaginations capable of even seeing our enemies as potential children of God. No one is beyond his grasp. God has redeemed you and me, possibly in order to be a blessing to others around us. The nations will come. God's light is for all people. The third truth is this. Well, actually, I'll I'll share the third truth later. I want to tease it out a little bit. So I love uh, verse 8. Who are these, or who are like these that fly like a cloud? I love that beautiful imagery there. And like doves to their windows. Do you hear the, the speed and the ease and the beauty and the grace in which people are able to find their natural home in the city of God? Nothing gets in their way. They are as quick as a cloud, and like a dove that just instinctively knows where her home is. They come and they take rest in God's holy city. So beautiful. But why is it that the nations are coming? Are they coming to introduce their own gods? Are they coming because they have something novel uh, to add to Yahweh? No, it tells us actually in the middle of verse 9. They come for the name of Yahweh, your God. They come for the Holy One of Israel. So make no mistake about it. When the nations do come, and they will come to God, they come in full submission of his name and his dominion and his gospel. When the Midianites come and those from from Kedar and Tarshish, they're not bringing with them their own pagan religions. They're not bringing their false ideologies or their totalitarian regimes. No, they come in full submission to the name of the Lord. What in the world is that going to look like? Do you have any idea? I don't. Like, what is it going to look like for a redeemed China to send a delegation to God's holy city? What's it going to look like for a redeemed Bhutan or South Sudan or North Korea, or South Korea, or France, or England? What is it going to look like to see those cultures redeemed and in full submission to the Lord God? This is why our human imaginations are so finite at times. Like, I feel incapable when I try to imagine those things. I would love to hear your thoughts on those matters. You know, what does it look like for a redeemed Brazil, or Kazakhstan, or even a redeemed America? for all of our sin to be purged from our land and to be able to to come together as brothers and sisters to worship the Lord God in grace and truth. What in the world will that look like? 
I do know there'll be good food. <laughs> there'll be lots of good food, probably a lot of tacos, and I'm really excited about that. <laughs> so we'll have to find out. A lot of beautiful art, beautiful music, all these different ways of radiating the glory of God. What an exciting thing. But it will be a day in which we are all able to worship the Lord in full purity. Purity. Absolute purity. Something that, that we only get a glimmer of these days. So friends, God's epiphany light is something that we all participate in. It's something that's available to all people. And it will always be pure. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking right now, like, you know, that, that's great for whenever in the world this is supposed to happen. Um, you know, end of time, what does that mean? You know, but what about now? How in the world does this relate to where we are now? And this is where I get excited. So when Jesus Christ stepped into the world, when he broke not only into our material world, but, but broke into our time as well, he was coming, he, or in Jesus Christ, he is where heaven and earth meet. He is all of these things fulfilled. He is the embodiment of all of these prophecies fulfilled. In Jesus Christ, we're getting a glimmer of that future uh, kingdom reality, but we get to experience him in the here and now. In Jesus Christ, we participate in the glory of God now. In Jesus Christ, we can see people now from every nation come into a saving embrace. How do you think we got here, right? In Jesus Christ, we are purified and we have acceptance before God the Father. Wow. That, wow, Ada is saying right now. Like, that is incredible. Now, as a church planter and, and as a priest, it's really easy for me, and I've had sermons like this, where I say, and that's why we have the church, because we come here together to experience those things. You know, we come together as, from, as, as representing all people. We come together uh, to participate in God. We come together uh, to experience his purity here at the church. And yes, that's totally true. You're going to hear me preach those things many, many times in the future. But today, as, as we conclude this sermon, I actually want to apply this uh, to a different location. Um, I want to apply this to your home. So I honestly, personally, and you know, plenty of people can disagree with me, and that's fine, but I actually believe that we're in the final lap of this pandemic. Um, God save us. I sure hope so. Um, but I do think that we also have a bit more time to spend in our homes. Uh, St. John Chrysostom, uh, an early church father, he called the home the little church. And perhaps he said it with a bit of a Scottish accent, too. You know, the little church. He wasn't Scottish. I'm, Sorry, I'm a little loopy after this week. Uh, but I do believe that we're in the final lap of this pandemic. And as, as one who has been baptized into the light of Christ, how can you live out the truth of the gospel epiphany light in your own home? Especially those of you who are uh, participating from home in the live streams right now. You know, look around your home. Like, how can your home be a, a, a little church throughout the rest of this pandemic? So one of our ministry residents, Andrew Preston, where are you, Andrew? Oh, there you are. Hey, Andrew. <laughs> uh, so Andrew has uh, compiled for us from other prayer books and other resources a home liturgy, or a, a liturgy of home blessing. And I want all of you to grab one of these before you leave this morning. Um, we've got a lot, so to, you know, feel free to grab several of them. But this is a, a liturgy for, uh, filled with prayers for every single room in your house. 
And so you can go about, uh, you, can, you can gather together those in your household, maybe other people who are part of your uh, pandemic bubble or whatever we're calling them, and, and you can pray for your home in this way. And these are full of beautiful prayers. And I love, you know, be sure to ask Andrew about this and what was inspiring him as, as he kind of um, compiled this. Because one of the things he said is he, he once, he, he once um, and correct me, Andrew, uh, now if, if I misquote you, but he wants these prayers to be an extension of what we are experiencing here on Sunday mornings, you know, in our, in our life of word and sacrament. So one of my favorite prayers is actually for the bathroom. Um, can I read you the prayer for the bathroom? <laughs> oh, holy God, thank you for the gift of water. Over it, the Spirit moved in the beginning, and through it, you led the people of Israel out of bondage into redemption. In the incarnation of your Son, you made our flesh the instrument of your self-revelation. Grant us, O Lord, a proper respect and reverence for our bodies as a temple of your Spirit, that we may glorify you with them, keeping ourselves clean, whole, and sound, for we are not our own. May we find refreshment in both body and spirit in this place, that we might serve you. Amen. I've never prayed like that in my bathroom before. Um, but I want you all to be thinking and praying about your homes being little churches. So it'd be great if you could do that sometime this afternoon or sometime this week, hopefully sometime soon. But may your home be a microcosm of what we read this morning in Isaiah 60. The, wor the world needs more homes like these, does it not? a place where you participate in God's light, where people from all over are drawn into the hospitality of your home, and where God can be contemplated in perfect purity. So gather together your, your roommates, your, your friends, and your family, and whomever for this. And may the light of Christ enter the here and now of your home. Please pray with me. Jesus, after a tough week, it's good to come together and be reminded of a truth that is endured from generation to generation, which you are the Lord, you are the Christ, and you enter the here and now. So do that again today, Lord. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.